Welcome to Part of Me, the Celebrating Disability podcast. Interviews with disabled people talking about their experiences of being in the workplace, looking at the good, the bad, the amusing, and sometimes the downright ugly. Disabled people bring a wealth of experience and skills into the work environment. This podcast is designed for listeners to understand the benefits of supporting a disabled employee to achieve. Hello and thank you very much for tuning in. There are lots of myths and misconceptions surrounding disability that can prevent an employer seeing the benefits of having a disabled person in the workforce. Within this podcast, we will talk to disabled people from a variety of career backgrounds to discover how they manage their disability at work, sharing advice to managers and other disabled people to ensure inclusion. Welcome back. Let's get started with this month's interviewee. Hello. Hi, uh, Can I ask your name to begin with? Yeah. Um, my name's Gemma Louise Stevenson. Um, I'm a journalist, uh, predominantly do a lot of sports stuff, but also write about disability affairs and uh, arts and entertainment. Um, and, um, and, yeah, I'm... 32 years old and I live in Cambridgeshire. Okay, excellent. Well, that's a really nice introduction. Thank you very much. So I was going to ask you if you could tell me a bit more about what you do. You've kind of given an overview, but could you explain to us a bit more about what that means? Yeah, no, I mean, um, uh, when I grew up, I grew up and I was a performer. Okay. A the time. I, I grew up on the stage. Brilliant. <laughs> I grew up in the theatre. It was a great uh, kind of childhood, uh, surrounded by amazing people who I learnt loads from. Um, had some amazing experiences uh, and then um, up until I was about 25 I was um, I was dancing, singing, acting, I was part of the uh, opening ceremony at London 2012 and okay. um, I, was, I was one of the dancers there wow. and then um, uh, around about um, the age of 27 I was, um, I'd had problems all my life with my joints and stuff but we never quite knew what it was but I was diagnosed with Ailes Danlos. Okay. And so um, I went back um, to um, uni and studied for my MA. Crazy thing to do. I think it was like a crazy day in hospital. <laughs> I said, hey, why don't I just go back to uni? Uh, <laughs> and um, I studied for my MA in sports journalism, like as well as the theatre sport from like a very early age. I'd always been encouraged by my parents to be very sporty as well and very active. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was kind of a hockey player when I was younger. I used to play tennis, um, used to play badminton, I used to play netball until I got too short. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, at primary school I was the shooter in the netball team. Now looking at me now at four foot eleven, <laughs> you'd ever believe I'd be a sh- shooter in a netball team because I'm far too short. <laughs> but I did used to be the tallest girl in my class and then unfortunately everybody else grew. Oh, I know um, that feeling. Tour as well is that I noticed that 
a lot of the headlines that were being written about these para athletes were very kind of very very more about the disability than yeah. they were about the sporting achievement. Yeah. And for somebody who was um, who has a disability and who was into my sport even after I got put in a wheelchair, it kind of to me was like, okay, so my a sporting achievement is only worth something if you've got a disability beforehand. Yeah. Um, and so I went away and I trained at university um, for my MA in sports journalism because I wanted to change that. I wanted to I wanted to um, I wanted to change the narrative a bit. I wanted to people to start seeing these people as athletes, as athletes that train full time. It's their full time job. They commit their lives to it and um, and completely give everything to it. Um, and it, you know, it's it, they're in the gym, they're in the mm-hmm. uh, they're on the tennis court or they're on the athletics track like five six days a week. Um, more. I mean, practically every day of the week, they're thinking about their sport and everything. Yeah, and yeah. And so um, I decided, and I turned up to my interview and I said, and um, I got asked the question, why do you want to be a journalist? And, um, um, hang on a second, um, why do you want to be a journalist? Um, by my, by my then interviewer, but it was, um, at, it was turned up to my course director and I said, because I want to change things. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to um, see this written anymore. I want people to see these people as sports people. Yeah. Um, and and I went off. I did a year. I <laughs> I managed to get a distinction and finished top of my class, um, which was quite an achievement for me because I'd actually come from a place. The reason, one of the other reasons why I chose to change career was because I'd been told a lot by um, some of the people in the dance community that. I shouldn't really be dancing in a wheelchair. It shouldn't be something that should be done. My um, gosh. Um, so I'd, I'd come, and this is more, like I was a teacher as well, and this was more coming from parents. Yeah. Who decided that um, I, all my qualifications that I had beforehand that they were happy with had, uh, yeah, and they had didn't need disappeared, it. and the wheelchair was the defining factor of me as a teacher. Jeez. And um, so I decided to go away, and, and I, you know, and I, I, I thought just by changing people's perceptions of disability, by taking away this, this kind of inspirational line that you either have to be, what, I, and I will say it, I'm in the media, the media has two very distinct lines with disability at the minute, it's you're either this superhero who competes at the Paralympics, or you're a scrounger. Absolutely, um, completely and agree. No, we're not allowed to, in the media, we're, nobody with a disability really is a story, yeah. unless you're one of those two things. Yep. You know, yeah. it's and and I can say that from within the media and um, now and and I and I see it and it's like, but why should we care about this story? You know, I get asked this question all the time. But, yeah. Um, but it's kind of led onto a career that is I, I literally wouldn't take back for the world. You know, this year um, I'm I'm preparing just now to go out to the U.S. Open. So mm-hmm. by the end of this year, I will have done the reporters' grand calendar grand slam. <laughs> Um, Brilliant. So I've uh, been to every single one of the tennis grand slams. That's um, amazing. I've had, have, I've had chances to go to um, wheelchair rugby events and yeah. cover those. And um, like the IPC Athletics last year, I was at down in London. So I've I've had a chance to be at and be there, like kind of watching some of the best sporting events in the world. And that's kind of what I do with my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, my dad and my ma- my dad will say it's not a real job. <laughs> But for, um, it, when you're sitting up at one o'clock after the, it, all of the players 
players have gone home and you've still got to get a piece in, it definitely yeah. feels like a real job. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But that's such an incredible story. You know, throughout your story, I was kind of I was sounding surprised, but then I thought, I thought, well, I'm not actually surprised at all. The, these types of discriminations and these types of assumptions happen all of the time. Um, and I 100% agree with you when you say, you know, disabled people in the media are either people to feel sorry for or scroungers or they're amazing superheroes. Um, and they could never just be normal people or we could never just be normal people with normal life with ambitions. Yeah, no, I mean, I find that, like, people people often will say to me, and a lot of my friends will know, the minute somebody calls me inspirational, it grates on me. Yeah, same um, me too. Um, I, I do, like, a weird twitch. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I say to um, you know, and they'll often laugh. Um, like, I'll go tennis training, and a lot of the people I tennis train with, um, I, I go to my local club and I actually train alongside um, standing able-bodied players. I am yeah. the only wheelchair player at my, um, at my club. Um, and they've embraced me. They've been brilliant. Um, they, they just, they, they play with me. They, they have a laugh with me. It's br- absolutely brilliant. And there's that, that whole sporting camaraderie. But then somebody new will come in and see me like wheeling around and hitting yeah. a tennis ball, and and then call me inspirational. And he's like, now she's going to win. She's going to win. Because I just don't see it as that. I see it as, you know, I got this disability, I've technically had it since I was born, um, there's nothing I can do about it, um, <laughs> I, you know, it, it's something I should use for a positive rather than sitting at home and moping, and from the minute I got diagnosed, that was the thing, I was like, I'm not going to sit at home, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself, I'm going to get out there, um, and I'm going to I'm gonna try and change things and help other people, because there are other people in my my boat, you know, I've come from, I came from having a pretty active career. Yeah. Um, and, and there are other people in my boat, there are other people in my boat, so I don't see that as inspirational, I see that as adapting to a new way of living or, or being a bit creative <laughs> with my choices, you know, and, 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 and still carving out a life for myself, you know, just because I'm now a full-time wheelchair user doesn't mean that my dreams end, doesn't mean that my ambitions end. Absolutely. Um, I, I still have those, and um, I still, you know, for me as well, one of the big things that I'm always a big champion of is the fact that we don't see enough um, disabled people presenting on TV mm-hmm. and on things, because, and, and often when you see them, it's kind of, I call it normalised disability, so it's often the people that with a camera shot, you can actually hide the fact that they are disabled. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm sure, sure you know what I mean. Like, when you look at a camera shot and you go, yeah. okay, so that camera shot, that, that presenter is disabled and could be doing so much to encourage so many people into that industry that's struggling to get disabled people into it. Absolutely, and, and it's not something and, that should be hidden. And with that camera shot is just yeah. to hide that. Yeah. So the people who need to watch it and see it and see themselves represented on screen now can't. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I do present as well. I do, um, I do reports um, for some broadcasters and I do, um, I present a podcast on the wheelchair tennis tour as well. Okay. And, um, and one of the things I'm always very adamant about is, is, I mean, you can see it with me. I've, I've got a slightly wonky body and I don't sit properly. <laughs> um, and you can say, so you can see it with me visibly, but I'm always like, please don't cut this out because people need to see it. Exactly, um, yeah. Um, people, people need to see it because there could be uh, a 10-year-old at home and it's, it's not for me 
I do it, it's, you know, there could be a 10-year-old at home who's sitting at home who says, you know, I really want to do this, but I don't see anybody like me. I don't see anybody who, you know, sits like me or who looks like me. And and then that actually could stop that dream for them at 10 years old. Yeah. Because I think it's not reachable. It's not, it's not, it's not guessable. It's not... Um, you know, it's not something they can ever aspire to. Yeah. So I am very adamant, like when I go on TV or anything or do any interviews where you can visually see, I'm very adamant about, you know, showing myself warts and all, you know. If yeah. that doesn't happen when I'm on TV, so be it. Um, but you know what, there might just be that kid there who sees that and goes, hey, I can do this no matter what anybody else tells me. That's super, that's absolutely brilliant. It's really nice actually because this is, you know, what I try to promote through when I talk and when I deliver workshops and when I speak on the podcast. And it's really nice. All the other um, speakers have said so too, as in they've said a similar thing that you're saying. But it's really nice to hear it in somebody else's words as well and from a different career perspective as well that it's so important that disability is celebrated throughout the different sectors of business and the different walks of life and everything and I think you've just rounded it up really really well so thank you (laughs) um so we are just now if you don't mind just going to change just just change tone a little bit um, and talk about, if you don't mind talking about, um, if there are any um, barriers that you face as a wheelchair user, I think it's really important for the listeners to hear, so they can hear the barriers, but also hear that it's possible to do things with the barriers. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is, as I say, um, if, I'm a, if I say to people, I'm going to a new place to pitch myself as a freelancer, um, is I'm the journalist who can't write. Right. Which sounds really weird, <laughs> and, and it sounds like I'm kind of doing myself out of the job before I've even got it. <laughs> but what I mean is, um, so as well as my ALS satellites, um, as a result of a car accident, I also got a neurological condition, mm-hmm. which basically means that I have no feeling in my legs or arms, and I can't actually grip a pen to write. Okay. Um, so I use um, assistive technology, adaptive technology, mm-hmm. voice technology has moved on so much in the last few years um, to help me. And I also have, um, my mum travels the world with me as my carer, okay. <laughs> support worker, and she'll sit there and she'll, um, she'll, you know, she'll sit there and she'll press record on the, um, on the recorder that I've got, or she'll um, make notes for me at the court side of the matches and everything. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and she's not cheering on the players, which is quite funny. <laughs> Sometimes my notes are not the most impartial thing when my mum's been out. <laughs> Excellent. But, um, you know, it's a way I had to find. You know, I I started my journalism training and I unfortunately was involved um, in a car accident coming back from a PIP assessment of all places. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so I'd come, I think the worst thing was is that I was worried that I was being air ambulance for a hospital and I literally had my worst possible baggy jumper on because they put my pickle definitely at the earliest possible moment in the morning and I really wasn't like human yeah, yeah. and I was like what are they going to think <laughs> and um, so I, uh, <laughs> I think that was what was going through my head actually while I was uh, in the car but and that was kind of that was a week before I took my final journalism exam you know, wow. exams that would let me go out there into the world yeah and, yeah um, and <laughs> and kind of do things and um, and it was also two days before 
before I had an interview for the BBC, which was brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, great um, timing. But, um, you know, and that kind of changed, again, that, that was another step where I changed completely, you know, because I was at the end of training for a new career, and then suddenly I was like, oh my God, everything that I've learned and trained to do, I'm going to have to relearn, because yeah. I can't use my hands properly, and, you know, I was... I was, I was a full-time wheelchair user anyway, so the, the, the fact my legs, I couldn't feel anything in were absolutely, you know, it was just, it was abnormal, but um, the biggest things in my arms, and I was like, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, and I can remember um, going back to uni, I literally managed to get myself um, discharged from hospital that night, I went back to uni, I went and interviewed for the job at the BBC, which somehow I... Um, it was on their journalism training scheme, and somehow I managed to get it. Um, I have no idea how I passed that interview process. <laughs> um, uh, it was probably thanks to the painkillers the hospital had given me. And then I went back to uni after the interview, and uh, my tutors had a really big sit down with me and said, um, and said, uh, right, Gemma, we think you should postpone your um, your final journalism exams. They're hard to pass anyway. We um, you think you should postpone them for maybe a month. Um, so, you know, and I was like, no, no, I will do it when everybody else does it. I will finish when everybody else finishes. Yeah. Um, and actually, the NCTJ were great, as were my course, and that's the thing, you know, find a great course to help you train for a job when you've kind of, you've got the support network there. And, and I can remember, <laughs> I still remember it. I couldn't sit up straight. So there was me lying on my bed <laughs> in my uni room with an invigilator in there, <laughs> talking to my computer for the whole of my news and reporting exam. Oh, wow. It's not, it's not an easy exam to take. And yeah. I, I got the results, and I was I was half expecting, you know, you were going to fail. We got told half the class had failed, and I was like, right, I'm in that half. <laughs> because there's no way I'd pass like that, you know. I couldn't even, you know, I got the extra time, and I got everything that I needed, and I was allowed breaks because of the pain and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. There's no way... And, uh, and then I passed. And I was wow. like, okay. But then I was really disappointed because I'd gone through the year getting A grades, and I am a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone through the year, uh, year getting A grades, and, and it was a C. And I turned to my teacher and I went, I think I want to retake it. And they went, no. <laughs> <laughs> so even then, I passed it, but I was still pushing myself. Yeah. That probably comes from my performing roots because you always want to as a performer you always want to and it never happens yeah i can tell you now you go and watch a west end performance even there's always somebody makes a mistake every night absolutely because they hide it so well yeah absolutely as a performer you're always in search of that perfect performance yeah and, so and it never happens back to my performer days and uh and one day i'll learn that that actually won't happen uh, <laughs> and um and um, but you know, and it's something. But it is something I had to adapt to. You know, not being able to use my hands properly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you find the right workplace as well. I mean, I do bits and bobs for Sky Sports now. Okay. Um, as an organisation, um, and um, I, I will say, and I say to everybody, I don't think they get the recognition they deserve. Yeah. You know, plenty of media organisations talk the talk on disability, but they don't walk the walk. Absolutely. Um, they don't walk the walk and they put they put these imaginary glass ceilings in front of you and I've had a manager who did that who because of my disability decided to invent a glass ceiling for me that would be the maximum I could ever achieve wow and what I would say to people is that's sometimes hard to con- combat in the 
workplace as somebody with a disability because you're kind of like, how do you say to a manager, no, you're wrong? Absolutely, um, absolutely. But, you know, for me, I knew what I went into journalism for. For me, it wasn't a career where, you know, I, you know, I, I knew journalists don't make millions. I, I was going in for it for the reason to make representation better, to make things better. Mm-hmm. I, and I firmly went, if you cap me at this glass ceiling, I will not be able to do that. Yeah. And then I will finish my career going, well, what did I do it for? But I did this to help others. Yeah. To help the, you know, everyday disabled person on the street, you know, be seen in a different light, to stop those those assumptions about disability that have caused people to be so cruel to me. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just said, right, here's your glass ceiling, and I'm going to smash through it, and I'm going to prove to you um, that there are no glass ceilings, just like there aren't with women, just like there aren't with um, uh, fame um, people who work in the media. We are a we are a diversity as well within the media. And if the minute you place a glass ceiling in diversity, that stops diversity ever happening. Yep. But that's the, that's the one thing. I mean, I did some work experience as a student with Sky, and then I went back to them um, last year and I've done some freelance work for them. I was caught by the Wimbledon for them this year um, doing like their online analysis and everything. And there's one employer I found who literally say there is no glass ceiling. We will let you be. You tell us what, we, what you want to do and we will do our best to let you do it. And sometimes I don't think they as a media organisation get enough credit. You know, mm-hmm. what they've done for women's sport, what they're doing now for LGBT. What, what what they do for, I mean, there's, there's literally loads of employees with disabilities at Sky, and some of them have chosen to be in more production roles where you don't see them, but if you go up to them and say, I want to report for you, I want to go halfway across the world and report from the Australian Ocean to you, they will try and find a way to make it happen. Yeah. If you don't see the disability, and in that workplace, I think that's the one thing, you've got to find that positive workplace, and it's taken me a while to do it, and I've been through not-so-nice workplaces to find to find the ones that I'm now working at now that I work freelance for, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I work for a tennis magazine as well. Mm-hmm. And um, you find that positive atmosphere. You find that one mentor as well who will encourage you and who yeah. will push you um, to your max, who knows what you're capable of even when you don't know yourself and anything can be overcome. I think that's a really good advice, and I think you, you've answered my question, really, and maybe two in one. Um, I think that's really, really good advice. I mean, um, the stuff that you're saying about glass ceilings and, um, and disabled people not being able to achieve because of other people's perceptions of them is so true. For, ma- for managers who perhaps really want to do the right thing but don't know where to start, what advice do you think you would give them when supporting a disabled people, a person in a role? Well, I'd say from a journalism point of view, um, go to the NCTJ, which is the National Council of Training of Journalists. Okay. Um, they have um, something called the Journalism Diversity Fund, which is what helped me yep. actually train as a journalist. I couldn't afford to go back to uni, and I got the Journalism Diversity Fund. Okay. And included in that was something called the Thomas Research Link. But if you are disabled and you want to be a journalist, well, you are a manager of a disabled person and you want, they want to get their NCTJ, which is their official kind of journalism qualification, mm-hmm. speak to the NCTJ because the Thomas Reed bursary as well, um, 
sort of set up in in memory of a young German actually at Sky Sports who sadly lost his life um, far too early. Um, it was only three years ago, and it was set up in his memory. And okay. The family, the family have set it up, and basically, when you apply for the German Vision Diversity Fund, you have um, you tick a box to say if you think you consider yourself to have a disability, and you're automatically um, kind of considered for this scholarship. Yeah. Um, and they pay all of your fees and all of your expenses. The family and the family, you become part of the family as well. So I'm still in touch with the Reef now. I've just been at one of their fundraising events the other week. And, um, you know, they support, I think now the fund's been there. I was their first ever, uh, their first Thomas Reef um, fund recipient. But since then, they've supported, I think, about five others as well. Okay. Um, and through, through the fund. And it, it really does take that cost barrier out of, you know, getting the proper qualifications. Yeah, yeah, if absolutely. If you're a manager and you manage um, a disabled employee and you want them to get the qualifications, but the finances really are the barrier to them doing that. Yeah. There are ways. And the MCPJ do so much to encourage diversity. You know, they, within the journalism world, they champion diversity of all sorts. They don't leave one out. I mean, that's one thing I'll always find when people talk about the diversity in the media. Disability is the forgotten one. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody mentions it, and you kind of sat there going, "Hello, yeah, hello. yeah, <laughs> yeah." Uh, yeah. And <laughs> and um, we, you know, we, we we do count in those numbers, you know. And I sometimes feel like disability gets lost in the diversity number, but whenever they do a conference or anything, um, and they're talking about diversity, they make sure that one of the panelists. Um, always has a disability is represented yeah yeah no brilliant represented because actually as a student i will say as well like i was going to all these media panels on diversity and i did not see one disabled person that doesn't Um, surprise me the only place i saw it was at the nctj and i've since gone on and i sometimes talk on the nctj panels about my experiences and everything and why we need you know um why it's not scary to have a disabled journalist and everything yeah the first thing i would say is Speak to the NCTJ, they're brilliant. Okay. Um, um, and often, if you've, if you've employed um, a journalist with a disability, they, if they've got the NCTJ, they've encountered the, um, uh, they've, they've encountered the NCTJ and they'll know that. Um, yeah. The other thing is, is one thing that I've actually encountered, which, you know, is a misunderstanding, and it's probably because of the way the Equality Act is written. Okay. Um, it's never assume that there's a one-size-fits-all when it comes to accessibility. Okay, brilliant. Um, so um, one of the negative experiences that I've now learned from and I, I, I then speak about in order to kind of help educate managers mm-hmm. is that um, one of the negative experiences I had was that um, it was assumed that it was accessible for me because it had worked for another wheelchair user. Right, yeah, yeah. And I had to try and... I had to try and explain that just because you are in a wheelchair doesn't mean we all have the same problems. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, and we, don't, we deal with being in a wheelchair in different ways. There are different barriers to landscapes. And I mm-hmm. talk a lot about the social model of disability mm-hmm. um, being it's, it's, the, it's often the landscape that makes me disabled, not actually my medical condition. Yeah. You know, um, and I say that I talk to them about that and I say, you know, you've got to be willing to listen. So each person is an individual. Each person has individual needs. 
so yes there's a kind of a blanket of what the Equality Act set, sets out that you need to do for disability but you also need to listen to that person's individual needs yeah there's no there's no point resting on um no point resting on kind of laurels oh it works for somebody two years ago yeah so, it's work so it must work for this person now yeah and, you know Yeah. Can mean a 
world of difference. Absolutely. And can actually, you know, and they say it with consumerism as well, but um, it reflects how that person's family thinks of that organisation. Yeah, yeah. I know when I had that negative experience on, with that organisation, it changed my whole family's outlook on that organisation as a mm-hmm. teaching organisation. And they went, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not sure whether we like this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and equally, like I say, I can work with Sky now, Sky Sports, and um, I do work with Sky Sports now, and they're all like, oh, my God, they're amazing, because <laughs> they see what they've positively done with me. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and I, I do kind of think up Sky, because, you know, amidst all the media organisations, they sometimes get a bad rap for things. Yeah, and yeah. And actually... They don't deserve it. They are actually amazing. And, yeah. and the people who run Sky here in the UK would not stand up and say that. So they need somebody to say that for them. Excellent. And I, I don't think they quite realise what they do for disabled people. What they, what they, I hate using the word inspire, but they do. The confidence they inspire in all of their disabled employees. The barriers they don't put in place. And, you know, that's not from them going, you know, days out of their way to change buildings and everything. That's just from an attitude. Yeah. That's, that's just from an attitude. Sky Sports and Sky News actually treat everybody who works for them as an individual. They're all an important part of the team and nothing is too much for them to to do to help make their employees happy. Well, I mean, that that's a, a really, really great um, example of equality and diversity and inclusion working, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, okay, brilliant. So I've just got one more, well, a couple more questions to ask you, if you don't mind. Just changing the, you know, we've kind of, um, it's really good, we're kind of flowing in the way the questions are going anyway. But talking about you as a disabled consumer, um, what would you say was your biggest barrier or challenge to buying a product or service? Yeah, so this is a really good opening into it. Yeah, I mean, it's they're there for a reason, and unfortunately, with me, there's only one changing room I can get into. Yeah. Um, uh, I, my wheelchair is not the magical bus from Harry Potter. <laughs> you can't suddenly squeeze through spaces by just pressing a button <laughs> and having having a weird head going, let's squeeze. <laughs> Yeah, that suits me, or 
oh god no never put that on again yep um yeah when you're sat in a room full of stock boxes nothing can make you feel like that special feeling you know because going out clothes shopping is a special feeling for a yep. lot of people you know you're often going out for a dress i mean there was one um i'll give an example i've just been out to get a dress for my cousin's wedding and okay. the, the place, I shall not name the shop, but the place, the first place I went into, I saw this amazing dress, and I'm like, right, I want to see what it looks like, I want to kind of move around and see what it looks like and everything, so that I know I'll feel comfortable at the wedding. Yeah. I got in there, was full of stock boxes. Right. Um, they moved out the minimum, so my wheelchair and my mother would fit in <laughs> to help me. Yeah. And I just sat in front of the mirror, and I was like, no, I'm not going to pay the 50 quid for this, because this is quite a big investment. And yeah. I, I can't even I can't even use the facility that is meant to be there for me. Yeah. Um. And 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 so it does actually kind of influence whether you buy things there as well. Absolutely. And and, and it's not just it's, it doesn't just happen in clothes shops. It happens in like if I go out to a bar or a club with my friends, the amount of toilets I've been in where they have literally just shoved everything that they haven't got room in the stock uh, stock room or kitchen for. Yeah. And then go, oh, nobody uses this toilet though. And it's yeah. like, it, do, it doesn't matter if nobody uses it for six months. If, <laughs> if somebody needs it and there's a load of boxes in there, you know. Exactly, they're using it. There. So yeah. It's not just the thing that happens going out and shopping on the high street. It's something that, um, it is something that, you know, happens in a lot of services. But they yeah. decide, oh, it only, the disabled facility only gets used once in a blue moon, so why don't we just store stuff in there until somebody needs it? Yeah, it's but um, it, what, what and, people... And my apologies, really block, and sometimes I'll just go, oh, I'll just take this. Like, there are certain places that I know don't, will not have a, um, have a clear disabled changing room, and I'll just go to mum, right, I'm just going to go home and try this on, and then if it doesn't fit, we'll bring it back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is not the same. <laughs> like, if you're having a... I do love my girly day. My mum is my best friend. She's not just my mum. She's not just my parents. She's my best friend. Yeah. And me and mum have some great girly days on the high street, going shopping, having a coffee, having a sneaky bit of cake. Well, it's an ex- a really nice day. Absolutely. It's an experience, isn't it? And it ruins the experience when you can't do things the way you want to and the way you should be able to. Yeah, no, and I mean, and I will say it, you know, there's been mm. Um, it, it's not, and there's services that really should be accessible that aren't. I mean, yeah. I talk about, um, we have a pharmacy that's just opened in our village, which stops me now using the doctor's dispensary, which is fully accessible, the doctor's dispensary. Yeah. Because I live within one mile, and you go on NHS England, and the doctor's dispensary and the doctor's surgery are accessible for all. This new pharmacy that's opened has absolutely no wheelchair accessibility, yeah. no VI, no no hearing loop, nothing. And you sit there and go, how did NHS England allow that to open? Yeah, and no. then when I'd appealed to NHS England and said, I can't access that service, they said, oh, they'll deliver to you. <gasps> um, so you can't continue using the dispensary. And I sit there and go, hang on a minute, so you think I'm going to use the service, the services delivery? that won't let me actually physically get into the shop. Yeah, because yeah. Because you totally misunderstand the disabled community right yeah. there. Because as far as I'm concerned, if I can't walk, you know, sometimes if I'm not feeling very well, internet shopping is, is, is a godsend because I can go 
okay, I know what size I am in this shop. Absolutely. Let's buy it off the internet, get it. Yeah. And then it, I can always send it back or take it back to the shop when I'm feeling better. Yeah. As long as I've done it within the time. But I will never shop at a shop that also won't let me go, or a service that also won't let me go in. Yeah. Um, and, be, and be part of the actual lived experience. Yeah. As well. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, and the purple pound is worth so much. You know, I've done investigations on this with my journalism about how much the purple pound is worth and how much it influences disabled shoppers. And actually, I thought it was just me that was that stubborn. And one thing I discovered when I was doing pieces on it was, actually, no, it's not just me. Absolutely. <laughs> there are a lot of people who were going, no, sorry, you don't let me in, or you block me from using the, the, the changing room yeah. or the toilet. And you're not getting my money. Yeah, or the website's not accessible, so I'll go somewhere else. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, we're nearly out of time today, Gemma. This has been really, really good. Thank you so much for this. Um, is there anything else you would like people to know before we, we finish today? Obviously, everything that you've told us about the funds and the bursaries for disabled people getting into journalism, um, we'll put the links on the website so people can click through. But is there anything else? that you would like people to know before we leave? I mean, yeah, I would say that um, just never think that being in a wheelchair or having a disability of any sort is a barrier to you, you know, achieving anything. You know, 10-year-old me wouldn't have imagined that I'd be travelling around the world Yeah. Um, <laughs> for a job and calling it a job. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, and watching some of the best sporting events, but whatever your dream is, like, never, play, there will be, as I've said before, people who place a barrier and a glass ceiling on what you can achieve. Mm -hmm. But as long as you know that that glass ceiling doesn't exist, um, and if people do try to put it in a way, just smash through it. Yeah. And, and you will have the career of your dreams. Um, and there's lots of things out there to help you to be able to do that. There's, there's fun designed to encourage disabled people into certain forms of employment and scholarships so that if finance is the way your barrier it's um you've got it there's some there's access to work which helps um um once you're in work helps you with the cost it's not the easiest system to manage and i can tell you from this year um it's not it's not the most stress-free no. Nope. Yeah. And they change the goalposts all the time. And, yeah. And, and I've been told numerous times that I don't do a normal job that normal disabled people do. <laughs> um, it's, uh, and I was like, okay, what is that then? Um, yeah. Um, and my mum's even said it going through what we've been through with access to work this year, mm -hmm. where um, because I'm a freelancer, I'm not like a big media corporation where I have thousands of pounds to spend. Mm -hmm. And. Um, and, and then I can wait six weeks for them to reimburse me. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and they seem to think that I do. Yeah. And every time you bring it up with them, they're like, yes, but we can't do that. And my biggest piece of advice to people, to the type of people who are dealing with access to work, is know that advisor's handbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get it online. And I can tell you what, um, we've called out some absolute errors in their payments team, their advisor's team, by knowing that handbook and quoting that handbook at them. Yep. Literally, if you're going to start going through the access to work process, if you're going through as an employee of a company, so of a big company, you'll have no problems. The big company will deal with it. 
you'll never you'll just have to sign a few forms every so often during the year and then mm-hmm. that will be done. If you are a freelancer, if you are working on your own, it can be a minefield and it can be pretty stressful. They don't make it easy. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've spoken to Sarah Meeting about, who's the Minister for Disabled People, about the fact that she says it's to encourage more people into work, but actually it works for big business, but it doesn't work for the individual right now. Yeah. Um, and it's something I want to try and change. Um, but my biggest, uh, what I would say is my Bible, my Access to Work Bible has been getting my hands on that Access to Work Advisors booklet. Because every time they try to change goalposts because they don't want to do something, you've got that book and it says, it says here on point da 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 um, so if you are going alone and you are going freelance, which which is something I would encourage because you get to choose who you work for and you get to do different things. Yeah. Um, and you get to learn from loads of different people. I mean, my predominant work is with Sky and with, with um, Tennis Threads, which is a tennis magazine and the podcast. But um, that's my predominant work. But you get to meet different people and you get to see how different people work and you learn from them. Yep. Um, and, and I find it, I, I find it, brilliant and a brilliant experience being a freelancer but that one thing that I often see makes people give up uh, is that access to work barrier of being an individual claimant and um, it's brilliant when you get the support but getting the support and also getting paid back for the support um, just be prepared yeah. for a major battle absolutely um, in a lot yeah. of cases because it's not perfect and it doesn't at the minute work for the individual you have to find a way to make it work for you. But uh, like I say, access to work advisors book online, your Bible. Uh, I completely agree with that. I completely agree. <laughs> and that, that, that would be what I would say, you know. Um, and also, as a, for me as well, like, think about why you're doing what you're doing as well. You know, it doesn't have to be to help others. Yeah. <laughs> I just chose that because I can see... I, I was like, I want to do this because I want to make things better. But, you know, whatever you're doing, it's worth it, you know. It, you don't have to be travelling the world and, and reporting on grand slams. You know, your dream job could be in retail and working in a shop. And that, yeah. is, that is just as big an achievement. So never also let anybody tell you what is a good and a bad job to have. I completely um, agree. You know what you want with your life. Yeah. And, and go out there and get it. And whatever you decide to do, it's worth it and it's you should be proud of it really great oh my gosh that's great advice Gemma thank you so much and thank you for your time this has been really really good obviously I'm not going to use the word inspirational because like you I hate the word (laughs) but it's been really good and I think people whether they're disabled people or managers or people in business they'll just want to know a bit more about disability you put some really good nuggets of information in there that's going to be really really helpful so thank you so much for your time You have been listening to Part of Me, the Celebrating Disability podcast. For further information on any of the topics raised or to share your own experiences, please get in touch by emailing essie.hardy at celebratingdisability.co.uk or calling 01256 578016. You can also find more information at www.celebratingdisability.co.uk.